The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination Eat Drink. Sushi, tempura, and the surprising basements where you can get amazing food. This week, we're in Tokyo, Japan for something called Curry Pan and surprising train station cuisine. I'm Brent Peterson. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Oh, very nice, Bart. That yeah. was a... Uh, Shaky hands this morning. Well, not just that. It was a very smooth pour. Very smooth. It sounded like petite Syrah. <laughs> Sam would want to question who the maker of the bottle would be. Uh, no, that would be me, generally. Welcome to the winemakers, everyone. <laughs> so, Bart and I are on the road this week. Sam is uh, recovering from a little 16600 staff party. Todd Jolly is in the house, though. Uh, right, hey, going? he actually... Made the introduction and got us in the door over here at Quixote in Napa. And if you've never been here before, stunning property, very unique setting, not just geographically, but the architecture here is amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, the architecture is amazing. The, um, the neighbors, um, you know, are okay. <laughs> um, the views are stunning, both looking out over the vineyard and then just the mountain behind is captivating. So it's yeah. quite amazing. Yeah. I sit at the foot of the Stag's Leap um, Palisade, if you will. Yeah. And Schaefer and Stag's Leap Winery are uh, on our periphery here. So, yeah, get into it. And we've, we've actually already been, had a little rosé when we came in and then um, did a little tour of the barrel room and crush pad and then a little tour of the vineyards. Um, got to meet B.R. Smith and um, see his surfboard and uh, numerous pictures on some of the barrels, which we'll post on Instagram if you want to check those out. But welcome to the winemakers. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. you bet. And tell us, how, how did you arrive at this magical piece of property? Well, uh, Aaron Pott, our um, consulting winemaker for a time, he's the one that brought me in. Uh, I'd worked a few internships for him, um, so uh, I was on his radar. And then in 2011, I was working Harvest with Krupp Brothers, uh, which was one of his clients. We were out checking out a few blocks up at Stagecoach. Yeah. Um, he stops, in the of a... <laughs> he stops in the middle of a row, turns around, and says, I might have a job for you in two weeks. Let's talk. Okay, two weeks later, I get a call. So come up to Quixote. We're going to sit down with Carl. Um, I showed up. I think I said maybe five words to Carl. And basically, he just described the job description and said, here... Can you start December 1st? Um, sure, why not? Yeah. yeah. So uh, So can you back up a little bit? And uh, a lot of our listeners may not know who Aaron Pott is. So a little bit of his background, um, and, uh, and we'll go from there. Yeah, well, uh, Aaron Pott, you know, he's a pretty successful winemaker and consulting winemaker. Uh, I believe he got his start in the 90s um, working... I think in the lab at Mandavi uh, with Steve Legere at the time. Uh, but, you know, he went up through the ranks. I think eventually he became kind of the traveling winemaker for Behringer, uh, spent some time in Bordeaux making wine, uh, came back, uh, was the winemaker at Quintessa uh, in the mid-2000s for a number of years, and then started consulting uh, for Seven Stones, Krupp Brothers, uh, Martin Estate, uh, Blackbird, and and he's got some fun labels. I mean, I've, I, and he and he did some Rhone stuff, so I was able to get some stuff at the Girl in the Fig. But the Chester's Anvil stuff was always fun, and and we were talking earlier about the Hattori Hanzo. Yeah. So I think he was a Tarantino fan. But um, Aaron's a very talented guy um, when it comes to winemaking. Yeah, he's a, not a bad guy to have as a, a friend and mentor. Yeah, I bet. 
And then um, could someone maybe talk a little bit about uh, Kyoto Winery and how it got its start? And um, maybe Bruce, you want to do that? Hold on, we got a, We have a whole nice group of people here that we're going to do this and with today. Bruce, well, yeah, and Bruce McKay is here. Bruce, what exactly is your position here at Quixote? I am the ambassador. Yeah, I'm going to put you right up in there. Yep. Perfect. I'm the ambassador for the brand. Um, I've been connected with Quixote for about 10 years. I was the director of hospitality for a couple of years, and I left. And I would do private tours, and I'd bring people here yeah, pretty regularly. And so I had a connection you know, over those years. And then uh, just over two years ago, I, uh, my sister-in-law, who lives in Vienna, is very well aware of the architect who designed this magical property, Friedenreich Hundertwasser, which means Freedom State Hundred Water. I'm so, so glad was... he said it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it. <laughs> and so um, we can describe the property if you haven't seen the website, it's where Alice in Wonderland met uh, Willy Wonka, because yeah. it's just a really spectacular, uh, unusual property. And uh, the, uh, Carl Germany, the original owner, commissioned Friedenreich Unterwasser in 1988, and the property was built in the 90s, and it took 10 years to build. Uh, Carl's not your everyday go-by-the-rules person, and so he would submit a plan a year that would just be like a puzzle as it grew and grew and grew. And then uh, in 2000, when the, the city officials came in to give it the final approval, it was like, what the bleep, bleep, bleep have you built here? Because it, it was nothing like anybody had ever seen before. Well, uh, don't you have to have, I mean, because you're sort of, I mean, it could be residential, but you're actually commercial, right? So <laughs> well, it's you, would, <laughs> you would think that, you know, some people with, clipboards would be in here every week kind of looking at what you're doing, but, yeah, that, but that's not that, how it was. Well, but part of that, Brian, was the era. Um, yeah. You know, it, 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 things were more relaxed then. It, it wasn't that hard to open a winery at the time. You didn't need your neighbor's approval to, you know, do as much as was you do now, right? But a building with yeah. no right angles, you would think, would just get a little <laughs> bit of attention. Well, I, actually, Structurally. I think, yeah, well, yeah, you're right, structurally. That's yeah. money um, and floors here and there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so it, so it took um, another five years of negotiating with the, the county you know, authorities. And so it finally opened in 2005. And, uh, you know, we're like a lot of newer wineries by appointment only. Um, and yeah, so call ahead. Um, we won't turn you away if you show up at the door. We may say if we can fit you in, we will with an appointment. But we encourage people to. Uh, uh, you know, check us online and make an appointment. Well, this isn't really the kind of place that you're just going to stumble into and ask for a taste. I mean, this is the kind of place you want to walk around and actually have the experience. I mean, it's, you know, we spent like almost an hour just walking around. Well, yeah, and you can't see it from the road. It's not yeah. like you'd be driving by and go, oh, honey, check out that cool building. Let's go see what's going on in there. I mean, you actually have to know that you're coming down this road or, yeah, or I mean, stopping at one of the neighbors and, and, and kind of peek down and go, what the hell is that? Well, and, and it, for that matter, you get to the parking lot and you really can't tell what you're walking into. It's, it's a great, great surprise. Yeah. The um, people, they find us by Googling uh, uh, art and wine. And we'll come up. Yesterday, there were three women that came in. They booked an appointment at two. They showed, I think they booked at like five to two, and they showed up at two. How'd you find us? We Googled rosé in Napa. And our rosé, somehow or other, you know, that just been released, <laughs> popped up. Wow, <laughs> interesting. And what was, the, um, what was the connection to Don Quixote? Um, Carl, the, the, the creator of this, uh, he had re revived Stagsy Winery. Sold it to Beringer, and uh, he wanted a whimsical, you know, winery, not a chateau or a, a Tuscan villa. And being an art lover, he had some fascination with Don Quixote, and uh, that was going to be the name of the winery was, was going to be Quixote. But then he had to find the missing piece, the architect, the uh, uh, the hippie guy from Vienna, with his. Uh, Straight edge, which looks more like a little J. <laughs> and we will post that picture on the Instagram account so you can see it. And this property is the only property in the Americas designed by Hundertwasser. Right. Wow. And so the art lovers that know of the work, um, 
they come in, they want, they want to see it. Wow, interesting. And um, how big is the property? What kind of grapes are you growing? I don't know, BR, you want to hang? Yeah, so the total property is about 43 acres. 27 are planted to vine, uh, all organically farmed. It's about 12 and a half of Cab Sauve and Petit Syrah. Half acre Cab Franc, half acre Petit Verdot, and uh, just, just under an acre of Malbec. And you guys doing vineyard work in-house, or you? Uh, no, so we have uh, Mike Wolf, who's our vineyard manager. And okay. he's been farming this land for about uh, 12 years now. And who's the fan of Petit Syrah? So, like, why you got so much Petit Syrah growing over here uh, in Cab that, Country? That, that would be Carl. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think Petit Syrah was one of his favorite varietals, and he really wanted to showcase it. And that's why half our acreage is Petit yeah. Syrah. Uh, he also felt like the wine is fantastic, which it is, yeah. uh, and just didn't get the respect that it deserved. Well, because we, and we talk about this on some of our past shows, is that we know that we we tell people that you have had more Napa Petit Syrah than you think you have um, when you're drinking Napa Cab. So, but this is actually like showcasing the Petit Syrah. Yeah, right. Uh, we we try to be a platform and a big advocate for Petit Syrah. Yeah. And was Petit Syrah something you had worked for? worked with before you came here or is it something you've fallen in love with or is it your I had it your never nemesis, worked nemesis? with it prior to coming to Quixote so okay. you know it's been uh, a, a learning experience for me and it's it's a wine that I've definitely grown to love um, you know we make three different versions of Petit Syrah trying the show I feel like the different uh, uh, sides of, of the grape um, you know with our Ponds of which we try to make more approachable uh, at a younger age. Uh, our Quixote label, Petit Syrah, which is more of a showcase of the vineyard and the complexity. And then with our Helmet of Membrino, our, our top end uh, Petit Syrah, going for trying to coax out more of the elegant, uh, nuanced side of, yeah. of Petit Syrah. Yeah, t talk a little bit about Petit Syrah and like what, what you've learned about Petit Syrah. Like what are the challenges? Is it a weird ripener? Is it sometimes a little too powerful for... Uh, yeah, so uh, one big challenge is how do you manage the tannins? Right. Um, you know, pump over less. Um, gentle pump over. Very, very gentle. <laughs> yeah. um, the last two years, you know, fermenting in concrete yeah. We saw those tanks, and we'll post a picture of that for you guys as well, so you can check that out. And yeah. and, and, and playing around with uh, larger format uh, barrels. Right. Um, so actually this year, uh, I'm going to order a, a cask, a 10-barrel cask, to do some, some aging. And I noticed you had some of those 112-liter uh, barrels. What are you putting in those? Those, uh, you know, whatever, whatever kind of tastes great, but, you know, I don't want to, you know. <laughs> it's a project. <laughs> Anything that we want to break down, but, you know, I don't want to put all of it in keg for topping, but want to keep some in barrel. So I've got those on reserve. Uh, plus, uh, a couple years ago, I, we partnered with a, a distillery out in Petaluma, so I might ship a couple of those over for uh, brandy. Wait, wait! Oh. You guys are gonna make brandy, or you're gonna sell them to them for uh, for them so to use? Is this Sonoma Port Works? No, uh, no. Griffo Distillery. Oh, yeah. cool. Okay, and what yeah. are they? What are they? Are they making port though? Uh, no, no. So I sh I put together a base wine ship out. Uh -huh. uh, they distill. They're they're gonna barrel age and bottle. Ah, cool. awesome. So. Yeah, cool. I guess I let the cat out of the bag. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah. Is there, is there a website you yeah. want to go to? Yeah. Check that out? You know what? You're, you'll just have to come to the winery to learn more about that, won't you? Um, let's let's before we. I want to talk more about Petit Syrah, but we have Cabernet in front of us. Well, you have one. I have one Cabernet. Cabernet. I don't know what you're um, missing. This was number two, so. Okay. Um, and then you guys, everybody else has two of them. So uh, maybe, PR, you could lead us through these two first two wines. Yeah. So the one on your left, that's the Ponza uh, cab. 
And and so describe or tell people what what Pons is. So we know we're at Quixote, but so there's a a Don, second label for Don you. Don Quixote had his sidekick Sancho Panza. Uh, oh right. Yeah. Okay, I just put that together. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one thing I heard from Carl was uh, uh, Panza wines were were meant to be drunk early. Uh, so you know they're softer, they're a little bit more fruit forward. The goal here is you enjoy the Panza wines while you're waiting for the Quixotes to age. Right. Okay. And so different different blocks or just different barrel regimens, different. A combination of the two. Right. So different uh, blocks, different subsections within blocks, yeah. uh, differing you know percentages of new French oak. Uh, so you know whatever uh, kind of has has a little more softness uh, and more fruit. Right. So, so I mean the the Quixote is the is the creme de la creme. Yeah, Quixote, and, and, and it's and made our, for aging. And then from there, you take the wines that aren't at that, and you make your artful blend of Ponza. Yeah, and 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 it, is it more of a barrel selection thing, or is it is are there certain parts of the vineyard that typically go into Ponza and things that typically go into yeah, Coyote? Yeah, so kind of the flat sections of Block One um, that goes into Ponza. Uh, we put more of the hillside sections of blocks one and two, and then also uh, nine and ten uh, into Quixote, and then uh, the Helmet of Mambrino Cabernet. Yeah, yeah, cool. And then when we came in, we were poor little splash of rose. Um, can you talk a little bit about that meeting that went on about, hey, hey we, we need to make a rose? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's see. I think. It's 2011, uh, Carl was, was doing a rosé uh, for Quixote, and we were doing a, a Seigne method. Uh, and then with uh, 2018, uh, I wanted to go direct press. So uh, for me, I, th I think it's just a, you know, a pure expression. Um, it's just a lighter bodied, beautiful, and... Well, and it's nice to have a greeter at the door, too. That's one of those things when people first arrive. It's 11 o'clock in the morning. It's nice to get a little rosé in your mouth. Uh, yeah, it's not like get we have any, any, any white varietals growing right. here, either. Well, and, I mean, uh, Cabernet and Colgate is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, yeah, I guess rosé is maybe a little more appropriate. Yeah. So um, is the rosé... Um, do you pick some of... Go through, like, do, like, a, a, a pre-pick... Um, on the petite, or well, I've got uh, a, f a few rows uh, of our easternmost petites raw blocks that we hang a little bit heavier uh, and and pick earlier. Cool. So it's a it's it's a thoughtful um, farming for rosé. Absolutely. And, and obviously, the winemaking is also going direct to press. Yeah, good for you guys. You know, petite raw. It's um it's not meant to be rosé. Um, no. But it makes a very nice wine. It, it does. Uh, you know, we, we love this rosé. All right, so what is the first wine that we have on our, the first wine on our left? So this is the 2016 Ponza Cabernet. Available okay. at Sonoma's Best. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and Todd, what are you selling this for at Sonoma's Best? You know, it's the same price as it is here. Okay, perfect. Uh, top of my head, I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but yeah, the wines are beautiful. Bruce, um, as a local Sonoman, he's been preaching the, the good graces of Quixote for, for quite a while. So it's been fun to have him in the store and rep a little bit of a Napa. Um, for everyone who knows the store, it's pretty hard to get Napa Valley wines into right. Sonoma's Best. So it needs to be kind of specific things. And to find a 27-acre place like this that doesn't buy or sell any of their fruit is, is pretty magical. You know, I mean, the property's magical in itself, right. but you don't, you don't hear people not selling fruit. You know, and so all these expressions are just, you know, this land right here. Yeah, not selling, not buying. So, which means you get to a certain point where this is what we're doing, right? I yeah. mean, this is our case production unless we're planning on... Unless we're planning on, you know, buying another rocks piece of, of property. Or, yeah. I, you know, I don't think there's really too much more there here that more we space. can plant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so outside of, you know, purchasing fruit or, you know, buying a plot of land and planting more vineyard... Yeah, this is it. Yeah. So, we're going to do with what we got here and 
Yeah, we're gonna try to make this place shine and mm -hmm. uh, really showcase uh, what it is we have. Yeah, I think I don't think you're trying. I think you're doing that yeah. uh, for the record. Uh, <laughs> so back on like the magical and colorful things, we're walking through the cellar and I didn't hear the story, but there are some barrels that all the uh, the iron or the metal around the barrels are all very colorful. Could you touch on that? Yeah. So um, the Bosway barrels that we have in the cellar, uh, multicolored hoops. Uh, from what I understand from Aaron, uh, Jean-Louis Bosway used to be the in-house cooper for Chateau Petrus. And while Aaron was making wine in Bordeaux, uh, when Jean-Louis decided to step out and kind of start his own cooperage, uh, he approached Aaron, uh, and Aaron became one of his first clients. Uh, and so when Aaron was consulting, started consulting here, uh, the Bosway barrels uh, started working their way into our program. And every spring, usually, you know, all the Coopers want to visit, the clients, taste the wines, kind of make any suggestions. And so Jean-Louis, on his visit here, was kind of enamored with, with the whimsical nature of this place. And so the following barrel order, you know, the hoops were multicolored when these things showed up. So he uh, just did it on his own? He did it on his own. Uh, he felt it fit the place. Cool. Carl fell in love with it and mandated that every, nice. every order with Bosway get the multicolored yeah, hoops. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a you know it's why Sam sort of puts a little red wax on his on his bottles because when when they're in the cellar he wants people to see oh that's my sixteen six hundred wines but with these I can see if I got a like a two year old used barrel that they sold me in, and then I was working at some crush pad it would be real easy for me to pick out where my wine was. Like when you're walking through the roads, you're like, oh, that's me. Yep. You don't have to put a tag on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah these are pretty easy to spot, uh, especially with the new color combinations that take it on more of like a pastel. It almost feels like Easter when, you, when you're looking at them. Right. <laughs> well, um, these, both these wines are delicious. Um, we're definitely, these, we're in Napa Valley drinking Cabernet, that's for sure. Um, really powerful and uh, fine grain tan is really beautiful. I mean, um, so are these wines that you are working with Aaron on, or are these um, you're working with Philippe? So it, it's actually a combination of the two. Yeah. So with Aaron, it was harvest, fermentation, and uh, the initial bit of barrel aging. And then Philippe came on board uh, early 2018, uh, and we put the final blends together. Okay. And who, whose decision was that to bring Philippe Melka into the, into the fold? Uh, that was the uh, ownership decision. Okay. And just um, those of you that don't know Philippe Melka, sort of hired gun consulting winemaker, primarily cab, I guess you would say. He does a lot of, a lot of cab projects. Yeah, I'd say a lot more cab projects. Um, you know, fantastic winemaker. For sure. Uh, I feel like I'm the one getting the most out of the deal, working with Aaron and now Philippe. I think he's got some 100 points under his belt, right? One or two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what and, kind of guy you want to listen to? And, and so how, off, how does that work? I mean, you obviously know how to make wine, and um, he, so he's here to help guide you stylistically. Um, do you guys taste together, like, uh, during harvest? Are you there every day? Is it once a month? Is it once a week? Uh, and then throughout the rest of the year. During harvest, you know, he'll he'll pop in at least once a week. Um, you know, if there's anything out in the vineyard that I'm seeing or tasting and I feel like it's ready to go or close, you know, he's just a phone call away. He'll come by and we'll walk the blocks. Um, so he's been a great resource for me uh, in, in helping kind of, you know, make those final pick decisions because you know, there's there are times when I'm a little uncertain and you know it's not like we can put the grapes back on the vine. So, yeah. um, I mean, Sam and I have talked about this a lot on the podcast. You agonize over, you know, should we pick? And then once you decide you pick, then you're like, should we have waited? Yeah, right. Did we make the right call? Right, right. Um, and so um, back to your kind of history. Um, how did you get into the wine business, and, and where are you from originally? Well, I'm originally from uh, Modesto, uh, hometown of a, a small family-owned winery uh, called E&J Gallo. Um, I, uh, I actually worked there right out of high school in the uh, research lab, um, and while Another I... Another right out of college Gallo, yeah. you know? 
We we just had someone on recently that said the same thing. They're like, right, basically getting hired right out of college. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Renee, right? Yeah. 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 Well, well, this was this was uh, I was right out of high school. I mean, I, I was well, out just, of high school. Yeah, I was I was working in the lab, just kind of cleaning glassware and and you know just kind of doing random little tasks for them. But over the time, they started showing me how to um, you know run some of the like the PCR machines, the DNA sequencers, and just had me kind of do. Yeah, I was amazed that they trusted me doing that stuff. I'm like 17, 18, right. doing these things. And this things. is like so a like, huge uh, company. Yeah. Um, so while I was there, I started brewing beer at, at home because I was underage, but I could buy all the ingredients. That's and, weird. Is that true? You can buy all the ingredients to make the yeah, beer, but you just... I, there's no alcohol in it, so... That's great. Uh, uh, my dad. I wasn't that yeah. smart. <laughs> <laughs> my dad thought it was cool, so you know he he would help me out. But uh, while I was in the lab on Fridays, you know, a lot of the staff they would sometimes open up bottles of wine and do like a little impromptu tasting. Uh, they'd let me smell everything, uh, but but not taste. But when they started doing is I started bringing some of my beers in to get their opinion on things. Um, and, you know, they liked the beers I was making. And originally, I actually wanted to go into brewing. But uh, they all they all talked me out of it. They said, well, you know, maybe you should try winemaking. Uh, you know, it's a little more seasonal. It's, it's, you know, a cool lifestyle. You might like it. So I listened to them, and they weren't wrong. Yeah, it's a little more challenging, right? I mean, brewing, you, you know, follow a recipe. If you screw it up, you dump it, start over. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I'm, I'm brewing is, is... Yeah, yeah. Shots fired yeah. at all the brewers in the world. <laughs> I drink a lot of, I drink really a lot of beer, though. You know, I, I, I definitely love, love beer. Uh, uh, <laughs> what do you think gets me through harvest? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, with, with winemaking, you get one shot a year. So, um, I'm just trying to, you know, shout out the winemakers out there, you know. Um, okay, so Gallo, for how long were you at Gallo? I was there for about two and a half years. Uh, and, you know, w- once I kind of decided I wanted to get into winemaking, started trying to figure out where I was going to go to college, uh, wound up going to Fresno State um, in their enology program. And then. Took a semester off, uh, came up to Napa Valley in 2006, worked at Harvest at Quintessa, and that's how I met Aaron. Uh, also needed to figure out, is this what I really want to do? Um, by the end of Harvest, I was convinced that I was on the right path. So, And then made it my goal uh, to hopefully one day get back up to Napa Valley and, and land a winemaking job. Uh, so I just stayed in contact with Aaron over the years, worked a few internships for him, and then one day, I wound up here thanks to him. Wow. Well, I think right. your winemaking has uh, kept you around here, right? Uh, a little bit. The wines are pretty damn delicious. <laughs> but both yeah, these wh- Cabernets are just there. I know. So what was sweet. the second one that we had? Uh, so the second one, that's our Quixote Cabernet. So okay. this, uh, we really just want to showcase our vineyard. This is the 14th. I have to plug myself too many times, but this wine is also available. So <laughs> I like the marketing plugs. <laughs> oh, yeah. And are we going to taste all these wines that are open right now? I thought that was the plan. Yeah. Oh. What's wrong, Brian? You're not up for it? No, I love it. It's, it's, it's after 12. Yeah. It's five somewhere. <laughs> so um, let's talk a little bit about uh, coming here. People, uh, you're by appointment only. Um, yes. Uh, so can you give out the uh, website and... Um, KyotoWinery.com. Real simple. And our telephone number is 707-944-2659. Great. Bruce, I think that's really, really simple, but could you spell that for everyone? Q-U-I-X-O-T-E winery.com. Perfect. <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if you're French-speaking, it's Quijot, as opposed to Quixote. And then uh, wine club mailing list, how does, uh, how does being a member at we have a We have a, a wine club that has two releases a year. That's 
and uh, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. And uh, we find the people that come here that really fall in love with the wines that they want to, they want to be a member of the wine club. And uh, we have two levels: one that gets six bottles, you know, or a case a year, and the uh, the, the higher level, the gold level, is you get a case, yeah, twice a year. And with the case, obviously, you get a bigger discount, and we do free shipping. And uh, we've got uh, members all over the country. And so when we have our release parties, we get people that have flown in from Austin. I mean, it's been pretty remarkable that they, uh, this, is, this is a destination that they put on their um, calendar, that they, they want to visit this area. And one of the things that I've done as, as an ambassador is negotiated special rates with hotels in the area so that they, they'll get a special discount and, again, like as, as added value to be a member of the Coyote Wine Club. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Where, do you guys also sell into, the, so some restaurants carrying, carrying the wine as well? Um, Patrick can probably comment on that. Yeah, yeah. So, Coyote Winery as a brand has been a very small brand for quite some time. In Carl's days, he purposely wanted to keep it small, so it was about a thousand cases for 12 years of our wow. existence, and uh, the only difference now is that 27 acres, call it three and a half to four tons an acre, it's 4,000 cases a year. So the only change is that we have started to dabble a little bit in the wholesale market. So we distribute in New York, New Jersey, Arizona, Florida, Missouri. We sell direct to account in California right now. Uh, we're looking at distributor options, but I don't need to tell you guys California is a big state, yeah. and we don't have a lot of wine. So we're enjoying selling direct to you, for example, Tom. Thank you for the support. I mean, that's, that's the model that makes sense, right? right. Selling direct. Right. right, right. So currently, we don't, we're not really shopping too hard for a distributor in California. We like the relationships. We like coming in and talking to people like Todd Jolly and his store at Sonoma Best in Sonoma, by the way. What's the address again, Todd? <laughs> <laughs> 1190 East Napa Street, yeah. So, I'm sorry, did you say that you were in um, St. Louis? We are. Yeah. Okay. Just thinking about our Abel friend. Marino. Yeah, our, our friend Roger Randall. Oh, shout out Roger Randall. You might be hearing from him soon. Great. Yeah, huge fan of the podcast. Of uh, yeah, Roger, hit us up. We'll point you in the right direction. Yeah. All right. Next wine, someone. Yeah. So tell us about this helmet of the Mambrino. If I'm saying that correctly. Yeah. Left to right is the Ponza Petit Syrah, and then the we call it the white label, the Coyote Petit Syrah. So, uh, yeah, so right, right before that happened, the, uh, I think we're doing the third cab in the lineup. Uh, Bart, you have it here. I poured it for you. Yeah, I poured the 16 Helmet and Membrino cab. Correct. Yeah, we had a big glass shuffle. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Quixote. We don't do shit normally, so. That's <laughs> all good. Left to right is right to left, up and down. Yeah. And just the color on these wines. I'm wondering what kind of dishwashing soap you guys use in for... <laughs> I have all by hand. <laughs> Man, yeah. I, I mean, I have trouble keeping uh, Grenache glasses uh, clear, but I can imagine with this, this is a challenge. Yeah, how do you how do you wash your glasses, Brian? At, at the tasting house? <laughs> <laughs> inside joke. It's all good. We actually just have to replace our glasses. That's the honest truth. We yeah. have to replace them a lot more than I've ever experienced with a wine. Um, yeah, we have a trick to that, too. I'm not going to say where I work. But we will actually have a party, and we have found that we have the same type of glasses that we rent for our large events. <laughs> so we rent the glassware, and we make sure that some stuff goes back and some stuff stays. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought you were going to say we just rent glasses and send back dirty glasses all the time. No, no. Recording no. money on, we, but not we know exactly which, you know, the brand new ones show up, and yeah. we make sure that they stay on property and the other ones go home. There you go. Yeah. Right. Glasses are good enough for the next wedding. Right? Yeah. That's <laughs> right. They don't care. All right, so I'm confused. What, am I, what did I have in this glass then? Thank you. Okay. So, so uh, from what I'm picking up, there's the, the Ponza, the Quixote, and then this Helmet of Membrino is like the, the higher end. Like yeah, the Helmet of Membrino is the, the best of the best. Small production on the cab. It's about 100 cases. The Petit Syrah, 100 to 125. Uh, the 16 
cab. Uh, this is the first uh, vintage that we produced a uh, helmet and Mambrino level cab. Uh, so for that vintage, it's more of kind of a, a barrel selection of the best lots. Uh, and then going forward, we're primarily trying to showcase the, the hillside portions of our cab blocks and even like small subsections of those blocks. Nice. Could you, um, either BR or Bruce, uh, go over price points on these wines? Uh, yes. Okay. Hey, so. Could we kind of, um, you know, we got the hillside. Yeah. So the Coyote Cab in so front the, of us next to Schaefer Hillside. It's pretty the amazing. Pan, the Panzer Cabernet that you you enjoyed is sixty five retail, and the fourteen Coyote Cab is one hundred thirty, and the Helmet of Membrino um, twenty sixteen yeah. is two hundred two twenty five. And just a little plug on Helmet of Membrino, if people don't quite know well, what what's the name come from. Yeah, please. Don Quixote, um, the uh, straightforward guy that he was, he wore a, a helmet, and it was, he called it the helmet of Mambrino. So it's a bit like a, a, a tinfoil hat for keeping UFOs at bay. In his case, it was, uh, he fought windmills, and so poor old Sancho Panza would walk along his, alongside, and he would have this helmet uh, that would ward off the evil spirits, and so we thought it would be fitting that the top of the line would be called the helmet of Mambrino. Yeah, what was, what, what's up with Don Quixote? What was his deal with windmills? They were like evil. I mean, he saw them as being something other than a windmill. I mean, the, uh, it was a... You better not go to Palm Springs. <laughs> you got a lot of windmills there? No, yeah, if you've ever flown into Palm Springs, I mean, there's like, it's miles. No, I've miles never flown in into Palm Springs. Yeah, I was in a wedding there one time, right? You land over it. You know, it's, yeah. Well, it's like, you know, if you go out to the Delta, right? And there's just, you know, windmills for days and days and days. Um, but are you talking about turbines or like windmills? Well, I mean, I'm today, the turbines, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But just a quick plug about the novel uh, Don Quixote is that Gutenberg invented the, uh, the printing press whenever it was. And the first book that was, that, was, that was published was the Bible. And the second book was Don Quixote by Cervantes. And so the, his works are known all over the world. So we get people that, that visit here from, you name the country, and they know about Don Quixote or Don Quixote yeah. or Don Quixote, but whatever, however they pronounce you know, the, the Quixote in their own language. And uh, so it's a, yeah. Pretty amazing story. Yeah. To give you a sense of volume, the red label wines, we talk about distributive. To give you a sense of volume, I mean, we're a small winery, so even though we do distribute the Ponza wines, the Ponza Cabernet is only 500 cases typically. The white label, the Coyote Cabernet, 350 cases or so. And this black label, uh, Helmet of Mambrino, Coyote Cabernet Sauvignon, first vintage was 89 cases, I think, there. Yeah, first vintage was pretty and, small. So if anything is going to grow in volume, it's going to be the Ponza wines mm -hmm. based on demand and distribution. Right. These wines are pretty steady in terms of right. volume, the white and black labels. I mean, kudos to you guys. All these wines are, are delicious. And um, as far as the pricing going, since we're talking about it, I mean, I think if you look at pricing in Napa Valley for Cabernet, we can't really judge Petit Syrah, but Cabernet, you guys are, um, are a lot of value for uh, the quality of the wine. So. Uh, good for you guys. Yeah. Thank you. I, I hope people acknowledge that for you. I mean, I, I hope, you know, your, your peers look at you and go, look at what they're doing down there. Don't buy any fruit, right? Grow it yourself. Make it delicious. <laughs> and uh, speaking of growing fruit, uh, everything on the property is organic? Uh, yes, we're farming uh, organically. Uh, Perfect, yeah. We're sitting out there today and looking at all the beautiful mustard grass, and, you know, they're going through... Um, they're not, they weren't tilling out there. What, what was uh, No, they were mowing. Uh, it's kind of sad to see the mustard go, but uh, it's got to get done. Yeah, part of the cycle, right? Yeah. I know, and I was thinking, you know, it probably would have been a lot higher, but we just haven't gotten much rain lately. I think next week, maybe. This is like pretty dry well, the winter. first time since the 1800s, right? There was no rain in February, and we had a leap year, so 29 yeah. days. Yeah, no so how, do you, how did that affect you guys so far with... Um, Pruning, suckering, like what do you see that's going uh, on? Out there? Well, I mean, everything got done a little bit earlier. Uh, I was walking through the blocks yesterday just trying to see if there was any signs of, of bud break. Nothing yet, but you know, 
definitely a little freaked out about yeah. uh, the lack of rain. Uh, hopefully, you know, what's on the forecast you know, actually kicks out uh, some good numbers. But uh, comparatively, between Petite, uh, Petite Sirah and Cabernet, what usually breaks first? Uh, Petite Sirah. Uh, yeah, Petite Sirah and then our little half acre of uh, Cab Franc are usually the first two. And you guys are in an interesting area, too, here. Like, when we were walking out back, you were pretty close to fires. Yeah. You want to tell a story about your neighbor there and, um, you know, how close it was? I mean, this is a serious thing. Yeah, no. Uh, you can still see the, the trees Yeah, you can still hill. see uh, all, the, all the trees that didn't survive. Uh, you know, we were pretty fortunate we didn't lose any, any structures, but the fires did come all the way down and start uh, burning around the uh, irrigation pond directly behind the winery. Uh, at one point, the fire was moving down a gully towards a, a diesel tank uh luckily uh, there was a cow fire truck that i was able to uh, uh hop on the atv and kind of bring him over and ask him to put the little spot fire out right and uh, we were talking a little bit and i know we're you know pipe dream but you talked a little bit about you know maybe wanting to have a little grenache or syrah um, out there in the vineyard somewhere, and us being sort really? of grown guys, we, we, yeah, we, we, that perked our ears up. Yeah, uh, well, years ago, uh, where the current uh, Petit Verdot, Cab Franc, and two blocks of Cab Savar, um, that used to be uh, a little bit more Petit Syrah, some Cab Franc, uh, Mavedra, Grenache, and Syrah. Uh, the Grenache did so well here. Uh, Mike Wolf and I often talk about, I think it was the 2004 vintage Ponza uh, Grenache Syrah blend. It was probably one of the best wines that came off this property. Um, so if there's ever an opportunity to replant, I'd love to try to get an acre of Grenache to play with. Yeah. Well, do you guys hold back wines? Do you have like a library of some of the older vintages? Uh, we hold back a little bit, but everything from the early 2000s is pretty much gone at this point. Huh. Okay. We drank that on five Syrah a few weeks ago. That was beautiful. Yeah, that was a gift from Carl. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so Carl got a little... <laughs> he's, he's, he's got a little bit. He, uh, he's hooked me up uh, with, with some 01, 02, 03 uh, cabs. Uh, they're fantastic. And that's that's the guy you're talking about that lives right up back here uh, behind. Yeah, the, so he's the original owner and uh, you know our neighbor, and has and has an interesting little vineyard space up above his place because he's got a unique aspect too. It's, I mean, yeah, it, it's pretty steep, um, you know, super rocky, well drained. So I'm interested to see how uh, that cab turns out in the next couple of years um, you know as as that block develops but but who's who's making that wine uh, Aaron was making it but Carl I think decided to just uh, get out of the wine biz and just sell fruit okay so he's just got someone tending the vines and then he'll sell the fruit when they, yeah. whenever the people want to pick it okay Yeah. <laughs> I know we talked about the property quite a bit, but Bruce, could you touch on the labels, uh, like the artwork on there? If there's uh, the label was designed by Hundertwasser, and uh, it's in fact an, an, the artist's impression of the floor plan of the property. Mm. And uh, an amusing story is that on uh, Hundertwasser's last visit here, that um, Carl confronted him and said, uh, "Fred, you've done an absolutely perfect job here." But prior to this, um, after Carl said, Fred, this is absolutely perfect what you've done. Wrong thing to say to Hundertwasser. He said, Carl, I need an ein hammer. What do you need a hammer for? Just give me a hammer. So he then smacked this column over here and cracked it and said, now it's perfect. Because <laughs> Hundertwasser didn't believe in things being perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Carl then took him to the airport. And at the airport he said, um, you know, Fred in the deal, you're supposed to design a label. 
And so he grabbed a napkin and he did a, uh, a it's a windmill. And it's, it's I mean, you should get a photo of it because it's, it's really classic. So that was like rev one of the label. And he in fact did you know, make a label which was uh, sometime later that uh, Patrick just was showing and again would be worthwhile seeing. I mean, it's a very specific in terms of the metallics that get used on the label. I mean, it's, a, it's a very artistic label. And it's one that, you know, when people come here, they, they, they like, do you have a label we can have? And so we keep labels. Because are you allowed to... the Cabernet, you can take a label home anytime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are you allowed to actually use the image of Don Quixote and, or Don Quixote charging a windmill? Like, is that something, or is that cop, um, copyrighted or trademarked? So we, we do have a, a partnership and a, an essentially a licensing agreement with the Hunderwasser Foundation in, in Vienna and the village. So we do have rights to use anything related to Hunderwasser and Don Quixote. Now there are some limits. These agreements were made a while ago where handshakes were cool and stood right. as, as far as a business agreement's concerned. We just don't push it. Right. So for example, when you drove in, you saw the new sign that we put up. Uh, so people going to Stag's Leap would stop coming to visit us. Right. And uh, we, I worked with the Vienna Village to make sure that they were comfortable with it. They loved it. So we're just very, very uh, cooperative with them. Okay. But it's always just a phone call or an email. It's no, no attorneys involved. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, what were these two that we had on? So I believe this one is the, pan, the Ponza, and then this is the Quixote. Okay, so we have the Quixote here and then Ponza here. Yeah, the are out. And these are, are 2014? 2014 Coyote and 2016 Ponza. And so when it comes to uh, barrel regimen on the, the helmet stuff versus the others, I mean, is it more new oak? Is it longer in barrel? Is it kind of classics like that or is it? Yeah, well with the, uh, the Petit's rods from uh, our smallest block of Petit, uh, it's three quarters of an acre. So we, on a good year, might get three and a quarter tons out of it. Um, so that line is definitely a block designate uh, to start, and then in terms of barrels, we're doing about 50% new French oak. Okay. And then um, are wines inoculated? Are they? Is everything punch pump overs? Or is there some punch downs going on? What is some of the winemaking regime? Uh, I like to inoculate, uh, and then. Two pump overs a day, generally, with the, the Petit Uh Starting in 2018, we started taking the, the Block 12 uh, Petit uh and fermenting that in concrete. Uh, and then now starting to age in uh, punching. So hopefully, you know, we can bring out more of the uh, elegant side of, uh, of that Petit. Mm -hmm. Are these Petits, are they 100% Petit or are you blending any other stuff in there? Uh, I think if we put anything in there, it's not going to show through at all. Yeah, right, yeah. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> these are like the most beautiful, dark, inky, but approachably smooth wines. You know, I mean, they're just like they're very kind of like round and almost sexual in a way. You know, they're just very smooth. Yeah, they turn out to be some beautiful wines. I mean, young, trying to taste them, uh, you feel like you get punched in the face. Uh, but you know, it's it's nice to see that kind of subside and you know take on that nice roundness uh, over time in barrel and then even more so in bottle. Um, I feel like a lot of these petites kind of start hitting their stride after about eight years. I mean, I think the thing about these wines are is that none of them are angular, you know, and um, sometimes with petites raw with the tannin profile, it can become kind of a, you, you feel like you hit a road sign sometimes. Yeah. And, and you guys have done a really good job making these wines round. And just as you said, approachable. I mean, even the, the 14, um, the Coyote, is very approachable. But, but lots of life left in it, obviously. Yeah. That's part of uh, you know, the challenge and, and also part of the fun. Uh, it's kind of like winery style, right? I mean, the building, everything is, is very round. There's not a lot of right angles. And then the wine kind of you know, follows suit. <laughs> I mean, it really does. I don't, I don't mean to, yeah. mean to well, sound I'm, I'm joking. Like it actually, everything is very similar stylistically. Yeah. Well, I feel like, you know, with this place, we just, we, we take shit as, as seriously as we need to, yeah. uh, uh, but never lose sight of uh, having fun. Yeah, for sure. Nice. And Bruce, what's it like out there selling Petit Sirah? Uh, I think... <laughs> 
there are, there's a, what is it, PS I Love You organization. So the, I mean, there are certainly petite sera lovers. And uh, in my almost decade involvement with, with Kiyori, that there are people that do come here that, you know, they say, I, I don't really like petite sera. I've never really had. And so it becomes our challenge to then say, well, humorous at least. If you don't like it, you can put it in the bucket and promise we don't use it again. And, uh, you know, invariably they um, will taste and say, wow, this is nothing like I ever imagined. Yeah. As a quick um, anecdote, Carl is, is a, a member of a group called Gonads in Napa Valley, which is an interesting name, but they're the old timers that, uh, uh, that get together and... Uh, where, where are we going with this, Bruce? <laughs> well, it, it, it stands for the uh, gastronomical order of the nonsensical and dissipatory society. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. And they, they have some annual you know, barbecue, and so they had this big thing, and bring your best wine. And Carl went and found out what was being, what were they going to serve? And it turned out that he took the Petite Sirot. Everybody else took Cabernet Sauvignon. And what they served was a roast lamb. Mm -hmm. And everybody said that Carl's wine was the best. Nice. So um, I think some of it is edu educational. Because um, people all know cab. But because we have something other than cab, um, it's... Uh, and the fact we have three petite sirahs is, uh, is really, you know, terrific. Another thing with selling petite sirah, I know, uh, I think the first time I ever had Kyoto petite sirah was at the Bialy. They do the PNV, Premier Napa Valley Bacon Breakfast. And so there's, you know, 15 petite sirah producers and then like five or six different types of bacon from the south. And so uh, they're all smoked with different types of wood and there's different vintages of petite sirah going around. So you go through this. start a day at 7 a.m. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> you, know, you know, kudos to Bialy because when you leave the winery from this petite sirah event, you know, they give you this little gift bag and it has Advil in it and it has a toothbrush and toothpaste and like all the stuff that you may need, you know. And, it's, it was a great event because there's all these people from California that are Number walking around. Number of a bail bondsman. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> Absolutely. People walking around with, you know, boots, you know, vineyard gear. And then there's, like, more California casual. And then there's people that have flown in from, you know, Miami or New York. And they're walking around drinking petite sirah in a suit and tie, <laughs> eating bacon. And then by the end of it, you know, you see all the ties getting loosened up and everybody's, you know, relaxing. But, I mean, I think petite sirah is just one of those varieties where if you don't know it, you know, go try it because... If you like a deep, dark, but smooth wine, you know, give it at least five years, I think, from vintage date before you're really cracking the bottle. But, um, you know, they're, they're really approachable and lovely to drink. And it's weird, you know, I sell wine on the floor every night and it's, you know, you have people like that that say, oh, I don't like Zinfandel or I don't like Petite Syrah. But there's so many variables that go into the winemaking process, it's, and, and it's hard to explain that to people, that there's no way that you don't like every single Zinfandel that we make here in California. There's no way that you don't like every single Petit Syrah that we make here in California. So sit down, open your mind, try the wine, right? I mean, that must be your, your approach in some way. But Petit Syrah, I used to think of as, it, I used to be like a Petit Syrah guy, and I, what I loved about it is that it sort of took on five different perspectives from the moment you opened it until the last sip you had like it was constantly evolving it was every 10 15 minutes it was a different wine in your glass and if you started your dinner with it by the time you got to dessert it was morphing into sometimes like this graham cracker marshmallow dark chocolate kind of thing it was almost like a s'more by the time you you got to dinner so it was i always thought i'm getting more bang for my buck with this wine because i'm getting actually like five different wines in one bottle and that's what I've always loved about Petite Syrah is that it's, it's just like this constant, like I wish I could hold on to these glasses and, and smell them two hours from now, three hours from now, or actually spend the night here, wake up here in the morning. And, and you ever done that where you get I up in the morning? You shower in the bathroom over there, right? There's a guest house right up that road. I'll leave you and, the keys. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Brian's out by the pond naked, just like some of the neighbors. Right. You, you ever get up in the morning when you, and you got a little bit of red wine left in, the, in that little bottom part of your glass and you kind of break the skin and then you really smell that wine like, oh, wow, I wish I would have waited a little bit to, to get to that point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's what I see, what the greatness of Petit Sirah. BR and, and I had a very interesting week in Vegas recently. Most of it we don't need to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were working with our distributor, and, and we presented our wines to uh, 
all the best steakhouses, all the best venues, and remarkable sommeliers, obviously very informed on wines. And yeah, I think we sold more petites raw than oh, cab goodness. on that trip. The amount of time we spent when sitting at Ariel or all the various places, you know, the, you open their book, of course, there's 20 pages of Cabernet Sauvignon, yeah. and then Petit Syrah may be under other reds. Right. There's usually not a Petit Syrah section, but we couldn't even control the level of their interest in the Petit Syrah. We would go forward with Cabernet knowing that everyone knows Cabernet Sauvignon, but they would dictate, the buyer would dictate, say, no, talk, talk to me about your Petit Syrah. And the orders we got, it was seven, eight out of ten orders we received, and we got a lot of orders. It was a good week. Yeah. Um, or Petit Syrah. I yeah. found that really interesting. That was within the last year. Right. So. Yeah, no, I can see it. We do Chateaubriand for two, um, and Petit Syrah for me is a no-brainer with, um, with something like that. And then, you know, you know, because we have a strong Rhone connection, I know that some people consider Petit Syrah a Rhone varietal. I have never been on board with that. Um, I kind of look at the original 13 in the, in the Chateau Neuf, but um, do you consider it a Rhone varietal? Uh, it's a half run. Yeah, it was yeah a, I mean, it's, it's, cross. It's, it's, it's <laughs> half run. Yeah. I, I, I think I feel like it's, it's more of a California yeah. varietal yeah. than anything well, else. Well, right. we're really uncomfortable with rules at Coyote, so we'd rather not be in a box and call it anything. Maybe. Yeah. Right. We, <laughs> but it's officially... We just do whatever we want around here. Yep. Right. Uh, Dr. Jurif was uh, experimenting in his... Whatever he was doing. He took a, a bud of uh, Syrah and a bud of Pelissin and fused them and created... I, I gave it his own name and the French don't like you mucking around with their stuff, and so it was basically deported. And it happened to be coincidental with the gold rush. And so all the settlers that came out to California, they, they recognized that you know, this is an ideal climate and uh, terroir for, for growing grapes. And uh, from what I've been able to research is that there was an importer in Boston that would you know, get all these cuttings and then propagate. And the question I have, I have no idea how somebody in Hillsburg or Napa could place an order when there's no Amazon Prime, and then sometime later these these, these cutting shop because they all came were imported. So it's a, a mystery. Yeah, I think he was trying to fight like mold or mildew or something with Syrah, and so he was um, you know playing around in his test vineyard, and then you know created Petit Syrah when he crossed the two. Well, a little folklore. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure that that's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing in your free time? Uh, surf whenever I can. Okay, uh, we saw the we saw yeah, the longboard yeah. on top of the barrels <laughs> it, in the barrel room, it, it, which we had never, never seen, seen before. Yeah. It, it likes to be temperature controlled. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just, yeah, just like the water keeps That's the good, wax yeah. Uh, yeah, on there keep, pretty good. Yeah, right? keeps it on there pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I'm terrible at it, but you know, it's it's. Uh, Where are you going? I go out to Bolinas quite a bit. Uh, every now and again, I'll head up to Dillon Beach. Um, and when did you get into surfing? About seven years ago. So it's. Do we have def uh, different definitions of terrible? Uh, let's see. Yeah, I, I do a lot more paddling than than actually standing on top of the board. Usually, it's uh, I get up yeah, paddling out or paddling in. <laughs> well, I'm kind of out of shape, so you know, it, 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 paddling out and paddling in are both a little taxing. Uh, well, but, and you know, people in Northern California, you don't typically just start surfing, you know, it's, it's just not, it's more of a, let's face yeah, it, it's I mean, more of a Southern California, more welcome in other places than Bolinas and Dillon's Beach. I mean, yeah, I mean, I grew up in, in Modesto. I mean, there's, right. Where, where, how are you going to learn surfing there? Yeah. Um, it was actually a friend of mine, uh, who I met here. He's originally from Kona. Um, and you know, just one day asked me, Hey, I'm headed out to Bolinas. You want to go try surfing? Like, uh, yeah, why not? Had a great time. Um, been doing it ever since. So you like one of those guys you're getting up at like four o'clock in the morning and yeah, I'll, I'll sneak in a, a session before work. Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, people think I'm nuts driving an hour and a half each way, yeah. uh, before work, but I mean, just hanging out, floating in the water, watching the sunrise. I mean, I'll, I don't mind. Yeah. Cool. And so what's harvest like around here? Is it just the two of you guys? Uh, us and then... Uh, you two, get an intern two, or something here? One there? intern at a minimum, maybe two. Uh, so it's a little crazy, a little fun. Thank God we got new equipment. Made life a little easier. Right. <laughs> Rock and roll. Less time cleaning up, more time 
actually uh, working? Actually, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot more time focusing on winemaking rather than cleaning equipment. Yeah. So it's it's definitely been nice. Plus, uh, you know, we can get the fruit in the tank a lot faster and. Very cool. All right. Well, let's let's wrap it up. Let's you know anyone that wants to come here, Bruce. You want to go ahead and give them your phone number again? Yeah, um, it's Kerry Winery, and it's seven zero seven nine four four two six five nine. And that's your phone number, or that's the winery's phone that's number? That's the winery's phone number. So, are you the only <laughs> one that does the tours here? No. Okay. We have uh, Lynn and uh, and Patty and uh, and Patrick. And occasionally and, our cellar uh, master, Robbie. Robbie. So we, uh, we will pitch in. Okay. And, uh, the, and the experience is about an hour and a half. And seven days a week? Yep. Okay. And we pair uh, five wines with uh, five artisan cheeses. All which, delicious. Yeah, so which we didn't mention, yep. but the cheeses yep. are great and actually work really well with the wines, which yeah. Yeah, sometimes can be hit or miss, but yeah, these are nice. And we got to give Robbie a shout out, you know, the, the cellar master. We got here, he was topping barrels. He'll probably finish up here and go back and top more barrels. So nice job, the wines are delicious. Put his blue gloves on. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly though, can we talk about the pictures on the barrels? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it goes back to my first internship uh, at Quintessa. Um, one day I saw Aaron walking around the cellar and just kind of hanging a, a picture on a tank and you go a couple tanks down, put up another picture and ask, what are you doing? It's like, well, you know, the pictures kind of embody the personality of the wine. Uh, so I try to match the two. Um, and when I came here, I, um, and working with Aaron again, I, I wanted to start doing that for Quixote. Just also, it was just fun to do. Um, but you know, we've got pictures of Malcolm X on, on our, Helmet of Mambrino, Petit Sirah, uh, you know, because I feel like the wine is black and powerful. Uh, you know, we've got pictures of, of Prince uh, on, on the Malbec. Yeah, uh, why is that one? I, you know, I was pressing it one day and it looked like purple rain coming out. So, okay, you know. okay. <laughs> and then uh, there's so one amazing. of some creepy yeah, yeah. dude from some old movies that I recognize, but I'm not exactly the sure the who Cap it is. Franck, the Free Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a, a young a young Frankenstein. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, for, okay. the, for the Cabernet Franck. Uh, okay. Vegas listen to all That's a great album. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tradition. It's tradition. It's got to be done. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, guys. We really appreciate you letting in it, letting us in. Oh, thanks um, for having us to on the, the property program. and and taking a look around and giving us the tour and and meeting the whole team. You know, the wines are amazing. I don't know that we even made it through. Did we taste everything? I think we did. Yeah, I, think I think we, we did. did. I think we did. Okay, good. And um, hopefully, Bruce and I can get together and and figure out something for the for the hotel too, which would be cool. Yeah, love the story and love the labels. It's. Um, yeah, it's a cool story here, what's going on. I'm glad we got to come here instead of you guys coming to see us um, over there in Sonoma because Bart and I really like getting getting out of the house and actually going and seeing where you guys do the stuff. So Yeah, and you really get a sense of the wines once you're here. So all yeah. you guys out there on your next trips out, you know, head over the hill to the other side and come yep. over to Napa and yep. see these guys. All right, shout-outs. Uh, um, Todd, normally we give you a shout out. You're here. Yeah, good to be here. Uh, so. I want to shout out Jess Wade. I think he just finished up bottling. Um, such a good dude and does it all himself. Uh, what, his own wines? Yeah, Topa Philly wines. Okay. Yeah, he's got it all done. Um, he's going to be a featured person at the, our rose party this year. Uh, so he did nice. six bottles of Magnums just for the party. Um, so that's going to be pretty cool to have those, Very nice. have those there. And he did a Grenache rose and a Pinot rose this year. So uh, doing them both. So shout out Jess Wade. Okay, cool. And then I want to say, you know, we're, we are doing a uh, winemaker dinner at Sante for 16600 It's going to be on March 25th. Uh, four courses. We're doing some Autotet Rosé, a little Hommage Blanc, Marsan Roussan Grenache Blanc. Uh, we're doing some grilled octopus. Um, nice. We're going to do a vertical of the Rossi Hommage um, for, with uh, some lamb shoulder and then doing a, a cool little flourless chocolate dessert that we normally do with a Pinot Noir gel in the inside, but we're actually gonna take a 2012 Estate Zin from Phil's house and make the gel out of that and then pair that um, with wow. the dessert. So it'll be a fun thing. It's $116 
And you can just call the Fairmont, uh, SMI, call Sante, uh, ask for Jonathan. Jonathan's the guy taking the reservations. We'd like to, um, you know, I'd like to keep it small for it and do like 18, but if we end up getting like 30 people, um, we, can all, we can do it in that room. So, and then, and then the following month, uh, Mr. Hansen will be having a winemaker dinner there as well with Dane Sellers, and we're talking about the menu right now. We're going to come up with something actually really interesting for you that we will... Break. We're not saying yet. You want to? I, no, we, it's your chef. All right, so we're doing a vegan winemaker dinner. And I'm no vegan. Bart, so Bart was, I think, was confused when I said vegan winemaker dinner. <laughs> it doesn't mean you have to be vegan. It just means that the menu is going to be vegan. So we just thought it would be fun to do, especially because at that time, Sante, the name is going to change to Butcher and Bottle. And so, although we are not going to be a steakhouse... Was I wrong, you know, with, here? With that oh, name, no, we just thought we, we might want to reach out to the vegans and let them know that we, you are still welcome at the restaurant, even though it's a butcher and, bottle and butcher. Um, so, so I thought it would be fun to do a four-course um, um, vegan dinner. Um, and, and, and I'm hoping that people that aren't vegans, I'm hoping that carnivores and omnivores and flexitarians and everyone shows up because I think it'll be a... A cool thing to do with um, so my my wife always said I'd love to be a vegetarian or a vegan if someone would cook it for me. So you know, um, sometimes or, you just need someone that's creative and knows how to do it. Do it. Yeah. Well, you have a kid too. What happens with I don't know if this happens with you, but it happens with me. My daughter ends up only eating half of something. I eat the other half. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's got meat, it's got meat. I'm going to eat it. Salami <laughs> sandwich. So yeah, when you're vegan, you got to have the whole. It's like all in. The whole family's got to be vegan, or it's it's going to be rough. So. Um, reach out to me there. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. Uh, leave us reviews. If you want to check out some of the past episodes, you can go to radiomisfits.com slash the winemakers, or you can just hit us up on the Instagram at winemakerspod. Um, and then go see Todd Jolly at Sonoma's Best. If you can't make it over here to Napa, if you just want to try um, one of the wines from Quixote, you can go pick it up. And are you doing any tastes of it, or they just have to buy bottles? Um. Just because of limited production and just buying bottles. Okay, okay, makes sense. But we will do a tasting Yeah, well, soon. Okay, sounds good. There you go, yeah. throw it down. Yeah. <laughs> All right, you guys, thank you very much. We'll look forward to talking to you next week. This has been The Winemakers. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you.